Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Each year, the Kentucky Arts Council coordinates the presentation of the Governor's Awards in the Arts, which recognize individuals and organizations who have made extraordinary and significant contributions to the arts in Kentucky. Awards go to artists, arts organizations, art critics, volunteers, schools, educators, local governments, elected officials, and corporate citizens. The Kentucky Arts Council solicits commissions and nominations for these awards and coordinates the panel selection process. And the awards are presented each year by the governor of Kentucky. Each year, the Arts Council commissions a Kentucky artist to create custom works of art to serve as the awards. This year's commissioned work was by Native American Navajo Fred Kims, who has called Kentucky his home for 16 years. Fred's work on making and playing the Navajo flute has taken him across America and the Commonwealth of Kentucky, and he's with us today on our Think Humanities podcast. Fred, it's uh, good to finally meet you and uh, to have you on the podcast. Yes, it's been an honor. Thank you so much for having me. Well, what um, when when uh, Chris Cathers uh, or Tom Musgrave or some of our good friends at the Arts Council uh, contacted you and said that they wanted you to make a uh, the award presentation, one of your magical flutes uh, that you have there uh, beside you. And that I let me just say to people that are listening to us uh, on the podcast, uh, there's plenty of video uh, of you playing on uh, the Internet, on YouTube. Uh, KET has some video, uh, the beautiful work that you do. It, it, they are indeed a work of art. Uh, and I guess if a work of art can also sound like a work of art, uh, we'll hear that in, in a moment too. But when they first contacted you and asked you to uh, to uh, honor you with pre- making a, a flute to present to the winners, uh, did you have any idea at all that it was going to be, what did it turn out to be, 10 that you made? Uh, yes, 10. Uh, they requested 10. And uh, I, I was... You know, I, I was shocked, and uh, I was—I didn't know, uh, you know, something like that would go that far. You know, with my flutes, and it's just uh, everything. Every flute that I make is just a uh, passion, and uh, from start to finish, so the look, the sound, the feel, the smell of it. And uh, when they asked me, I was just so shocked, and uh, it took a little while to hit, but you know. Uh, I just really, uh, I was just totally surprised and amazed and never thought um, my work would go that far. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, that work, uh, but let's also, first of all, talk about uh, how you came to Kentucky uh, some, as I said, 16 years ago. You originally uh, were on the reservation in uh, New Mexico, I believe, or on uh, close to the border. Is that right? Tell us about your growing up there. 
Yes, I grew up on the Navajo Nation, uh, right at the border of uh, New Mexico and Arizona, a place called uh, Fort Defiance, Arizona, which in the Navajo Nation call is a Fort Defiance agency. Uh, and uh, I grew up on the, uh, uh, I actually grew up in the government boarding school too. And then my grandmother, uh, when I got out of the boarding school, my grandmother actually uh, took me in for the for the summer. And then when the summer was over, I went back to the boarding school and uh, it did happen for like that for until I got out of the boarding school, which is probably, I went to the boarding school like in 1978 or 79. I got out like 85 or 86. Um, I got out when the space shuttle blew up. That's all I can remember. Hmm. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of like my reference point of getting out of the boarding school. And uh, and then the how the flu got into, uh, uh, came, came about is one of my friends, uh, started playing the flute and it just stayed with me and uh it's actually in middle school and then uh we lost contact and then um I actually got a flute from him when I got out of high school and I played it for a little while and then uh and then I gave it to my cousin and then uh my mother passed away and I fell into depression and I moved uh, I, I moved away from the reservation to Flagstaff and uh, I was very depressed and I was sitting on the porch and I heard my cousin playing the flute. Uh, I heard this beautiful melody. I knew what it was, but at that time, you know, I was so lost in, inside myself and uh, I heard a beautiful melody and he was playing the flute again. And ever since then, you know, it just really sunk into me and that actually got me that like a rebirth or something. And uh, so I started, um, after that, that's, it, that was probably like uh, maybe 10 years or so. And then uh, I, met, uh, I started working over at the uh, Fort Defiance Indian Hospital. Uh, I was there for a couple of years. So uh, we were at the old hospital and just at that time, they started building the new hospital. So, uh, uh, I was one of the person that was accepting all the, um, the new uh, 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 new instruments and uh, all the supplies for the new hospital. And then, uh, so everybody moved back to the new hospital and then I went back to the old hospital to get rid of everything. So a year later, we went back to the new hospital and uh, that's where I met my wife. Uh, she came out from Kentucky uh, to start home health because on the Navajo Nation, or uh, on the reservation, we don't have anything called home health. So she came out to start that program. And at that time I was working down with supplies and she would come down and get medical supplies to take out to her patients. And that's how we got talking. And all of a sudden everything just kind of clicked and we ended up moving to Kentucky and um, ever since I've been here. So the time, <laughs> like the six months that I was here, that's where the flute really started coming in. and uh, I started, uh, got a passion for the sound and, uh, it, it took me, uh, about a year to actually start making and to finding my way and to make it sound, to make a perfect, I mean, not perfect, to make a, a, a flute that can actually play. Had you made a musical instrument before? No, I never did. And, uh, I always wanted to play an instrument, but there was nothing like that on the reservation. No band, uh, no instruments. 
all they had was like guitar lessons, but you had to buy your own guitar, but uh, there was no such thing as a band or marching band or French horn or tuba. So there, um, on the on the reservation, music wasn't a part of the Indian reservation uh, tradition. On the on the bigger towns, like the the big town called Gallup, New Mexico, they had a band, but that was like um, it's on the reservation, but it's not really on the reservation. It had like a little city of well, it was called City of Gallup, but um, uh-huh. well, as far as uh, music, no. Um, living down the reservation, there was no time for stuff like that because you know we're out surviving. Uh, uh, hauling water for uh, livestock and chopping wood for fire and food. Um, we had to take care of livestock every day. And uh, so after school that we got out, that was our chore. And mm. um, so we didn't have time for that. And especially when you have livestock. And so, uh, What were your first impressions of Kentucky? The grass, uh, there was so much grass. It was green and there was no dirt uh, living on the reservation. I mean, dirt blows 24-7. The wind blows 24-7. And uh, like where I live, the jet stream that runs through the mountains and the canyons, uh, it don't stop. And, you know, and the, and the, the wind has like a, a haunting sound to it. And that's what you hear. But now we came to Kentucky and there was no dirt. It was calm, it was green and uh, the humidity uh, was so strong um, because out in Arizona, where I lived up in the four corners, it was always cold. It's always cold towards Colorado. I'm up north, I guess. Uh, so I'm so used to the cold. So uh, when I moved out here, uh, it was so hot. It took me a long time to get used to the humidity. And uh, yeah, my, uh, my skin changed and my hair started growing faster. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, out there on the reservation is dry heat. And uh, I never wore deodorant until I came here to Kentucky and, you know, humidity and my hair was growing fast. So, but uh, now I pretty much got used to it. And then like in the wintertime here, you know, I was out there shoveling snow in my t-shirt. Because <laughs> I was so used to cold out there. And, you know, uh, I would see uh, neighbors shoveling and you know, hats and gloves and jacket. And here I'm out there with a t-shirt. And, yeah. Yeah. So. Well, tell me again about, uh, let's, let's revisit uh, the first time you thought you might be able to make a flute. Did you have uh, someone that you went to that you looked to that, uh, or modeled a, a flute for you? Tell me about that process. Well, when I started playing the flute, it was more of uh, just playing it I never really thought about, uh, you know, where, how it went to my mouth or where my fingers were or how the flute was actually made and everything. It was more about playing it than trying to make it. And then uh, when I came to Kentucky, that's where everything started um, trying to memorize what I played and what it looked like, what the holes looked like. And uh, I actually started out with a, uh, a PVC pipe and went from there and uh, then I went to the wood and I kept adding, 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 you know, I kept burning holes, drilling holes just to try to make it sound right. I had 
some sometimes it didn't even have a voice and sometimes it was very airy. Then I got the sound okay, and then I started working on the fingering holes of trying to make it sound okay, but you know, everything all has to come together from the head to the toe, even though it's a very simple, you know, piece of wood with a one chamber and goes into the longer chamber. And it looks very simple, but actually it's not because there's a lot of scientific numbers that go into it. But um, so I kept at it, kept at it. And um, I finally got to the point where, you know, I thought it was okay flute. And I came across this one gentleman named Roger McGee. Uh, he lives up in um, Oregon. And I contact him and I told him, you know, my story and my journey. And, you know, I told him I wanted to make a flute. And uh, so he, uh, he's been a flute maker for years. And uh, so he took me under his wing. So he started telling me, you know, how it worked and, you know, what he does and burning it and, everything. So uh, one day, um, a piece of paper came in, a long piece of paper, about 24 inches long, about an inch wide. And he says, I send you a measurement of one of my flutes. So you can go ahead and use that uh, template. So I said, okay. So um, I used that template. And uh, so that kind of got me, uh, I was off a little bit on my holes and the sound, but after that, um, it got me where I needed to be. But as far as tuning the flute, you know, I was afraid when I first started because I put all that work into, into the wood. And then if I burn the holes too big, you can't go back. So I was always afraid of that. So one day, you know, I just started praying and meditating and I just started burning the holes and I just let, you know, I just let my inner uh energy started burning the holes and i started burning and i started playing it and next you know i started hearing the the sound of where i needed to be at and then uh after that after doing that that breaking that point now tuning a flute is more easier than trying to uh making it sound loud in the volume so I got so used to tuning a flute. I mean, I got to a point where I can tune a flute without even uh, listening to it. I can have my headphones in and I can be uh, tuning a flute because uh, before I used to use a guitar tuner. And uh, so where I live, there was a lot of trucks and sirens and dogs or whatever. So that tuner would go all over the place. So uh so one day, you know, I was uh, playing with some uh, bluegrass musicians and they actually were using a tuner that they put on the tip of their instruments. So I got that idea and I put it on my flute. And next thing you know, it seemed like the uh, flute was actually being tuned by the wood. Hmm. And that was, uh, and I, I never seen anybody ever do that. So when you tune... Do you you tune a flute that you make to the music scale that um, everyone else uses to tune a piano or a guitar or um, and you tune you tune and and construct the flute in in such a way that it um, matches the the music scale? 
Yes. Uh, what, there's two types of flutes that are made today. A long time ago, the flutes, the, our ancestors, our, our, our elders that were making the flute 100 years ago, didn't have a scale. To this day, they yeah. call that the grandfather flute because the, the maker actually was making it to his ear. Whatever he saw, whatever that, whatever motivated him, whatever was speaking to him, maybe the animals, the wind, nature was probably speaking to him. And he tuned that flute to that frequency of what he was hearing. So when you play the old traditional flute, it didn't have a, a scale. It actually was his scale and it actually has a unique sound that uh, the old traditional sound, and it's actually called a warble. And I love that kind of flutes versus like today's flutes. You know, today's flutes are actually tuned in a pentatonic scale, minor pentatonic scale to, uh, I guess, a 440 hertz. Uh, <laughs> That's a little technical for me. <laughs> I know, I know. I yeah. Just, I, I'm not even, I'm not a, I don't call myself a musician. I mean, but you I'm know the, a, uh, you know the language and you've made, you've made your flutes to, uh, to, to go along with what a master musician would, the, the language that they would use. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know how to read scales. I don't know how to read notes or anything, but, you know, from the creator, or the gift of God, or, you know, I could, Mm -hmm. I play a lot of improv and I hear the notes that go together and I was I was deaf on one ear for for so long I mean I'm 50 now and I just got my ears fixed like three years ago so I've been mm. deaf on one side of my ear so I've been tuning these flutes and playing flutes with only one ear half deaf tuning these flutes well, I got my ears fixed now, so I get to hear everything now. So well, how did you discover the best wood to use? Well, when I first started, I went, you know, when you become uh, like a woodworker, you start falling in love with different kind of wood, the, the, uh, the color of it, the grain of it. So I ended up going over to Woodcraft in Lexington, and I started buying all these wood, these like expensive wood, like, you know, uh, Ebony wood, uh, zebra wood, paducah, uh, 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 popular. And I started experiencing with all those wood, but it didn't give me the sound I was looking for. And using hard wood, uh, living out here in Kentucky, you have to deal with the um, humidity. And a lot of those flutes I was using was hardwood. So a lot of the... Uh, uh, this, a lot of them would, or uh, the condensation would build up, and uh, the sound would you would lose the sound. So that's why, like when you see those brass instruments, they have like a spit valve. So uh, on a native flute, you know, there's nowhere for that condensation to go. So uh, that's where you lose the sound. So I that would play like a song, maybe about two minutes, and that flute would be, you know, it'd be gone. Hmm. So, um, so I started doing a little more research, you know, about my tradition and what other tribes are using in the, in the, the plains. Hmm. And a lot of them went back to cedar and 
you know, back home where I live, we cook with cedar, we burn cedar with wood, I mean, for heat and everything, ceremonies. So I, even our, our Navajo cradle board for the, for the kids that we put it in there, put them in, is made out of cradle, I mean, uh, cedar. So I experienced with cedar, I actually put the cedar in wood, I mean, in the water. And um, like when you put hardwood in water, it, it sinks down. But when I put cedar in the water, uh, it'll stay float. And uh, even if I leave the cedar in the water overnight, uh, let's just say uh, uh, half an inch uh, cedar, uh, maybe like an eighth of it will be wet. So And, and the rest of it's dry. Yeah, the rest of it's dry. Mm-hmm. So I started making, using cedar. And after that, uh, I got that crispy, traditional sound, and I could play. Uh, I could play almost an hour with one flute, mm. and even like uh, even in the cold, and even though it's cold out there, and then I'm still breathing in the the warm air through the flute, and the condensation, it's still playing. And I think what it what happened, I learned is that. Uh, when the condensation builds up inside the first chamber where it makes the sound, what it does is I, the cedar actually evaporates the condensation. So it, it so mm-hmm. the wood kind of swells just a little, so it sucks it in. But uh, even though the uh, condensation is coming out from the top of the block where it makes the sound, it's still playing. But as far as the hardwood, it doesn't do anything. There's nowhere for that condensation to go so it just builds up right there and you lose the sound. So that's where I came across cedar and the smell of it, uh, especially like uh, when it's perfectly tuned, you can actually feel the vibration off your fingers. And that's a really good feeling when you're actually Playing, feeling, and smelling, you know. Yeah. Well, Fred, um, I'm going to have you play in just a few minutes, but I wanted to ask you, uh, I'm talking to Fred Kims, who is uh, a, a master uh, Navajo a flute maker who lives in Anderson County, who's been in Kentucky for about 16 years. He was commissioned by the Kentucky Arts Council to be an artist uh, who Uh, made and then presented uh, to the uh, winners of this year's Governor's Arts Awards uh, a a flute that he had made. It was the first time since uh, Homer Ledford was asked to make a a dulcimer, I think it was, uh, uh, way back at the first of the 2000s that that, uh, someone has been asked to to do this this craftsman uh, work that Fred has done. And uh, so, Fred, uh, before we take a, a break uh, to hear from our underwriter, if because we are podcasting, because we are radio, um, describe the flute that you have there for me. D- describe the, the length, the, the, the diameter, uh, and how many holes, that sort of thing. Okay, I'm holding a flute that's uh, 20, uh, it's actually 26 inches, but I'm actually, the flute actually stops at 24. And the diameter is actually a seven eighth bore, and the uh, holes are actually like uh, the size of a pencil, and uh, it's actually wood carved uh, out of cedar, 
and it's tuned to a pentatonic scale of a G minor. And uh, and it's all the, this whole flute is carved out with a uh, utility knife and burned with a hot iron. And I try to make it, I mean, that is the traditional way of how I make it. So uh, this song I'm going to play next is a, a love song. That's what the flute is mainly uh, made for is according ship is to uh, to find uh, uh, someone that's for you and that's something that you admire and that's where the flute comes in it's according ship flute we're going to hear that song in just a minute right after we hear from our underwriter uh, down in uh, Louisville at Spalding University the the wonderful uh, people that are operating the uh, Senior Junior Najlin Karen Man uh, Graduate School in Writing and we'll have uh, Fred's uh, song in just a moment. At Spalding University's Low Residency MFA in Creative Writing, serious writers thrive with one-on-one -on -one faculty attention in a supportive community. Study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, where writing for TV, screen, and stage stay at Louisville's historic Brown Hotel during week-long residencies or travel to Paris for short-term study abroad. Flexible scheduling and affordable tuition put a top-tier MFA in reach. Learn more at spalding.edu forward slash writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. All right, we're back with Fred Kims and his magic flute, if I can call it that, and uh, a love song that he's going to play for us. All right, Fred, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, and again, congratulations to you. And uh, uh, how how can people, uh, other than your website, I'm sure you have a website, we'll, we'll talk about that. Where can they find your, uh, and see your your flutes? I did have a website. It was actually called Yellowknife Navajo Flute, but uh, that was a long time ago uh, when I first started. It really didn't do anything for me. So 
uh, I just like that pass, but um, I started posting it on Facebook, and that's where it really took off. So you can actually find me on Facebook. Just okay. type in my name, Fred Keens, and uh, you'll see everything, all the pictures and performances and music. And um, I only have one CD, and uh, I, that's all I have. I don't have any Spotify or anything, so uh, I'm not really too, you know, I keep up with the internet mm-hmm. because I'm so used to uh, uh being in my own little circle so well you have your flutes uh, aren't they also on display and for sale at the artisan center in berea i believe so uh, i think at one I time know. they were i'm not sure if they still have any or not I, I don't know but i believe at one time they were yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of them want my flutes but they're handmade and yeah. i can't i can't uh whip out <laughs> the the 10 flutes that were made that took me october to to december i think i'll bet december so yeah uh, a quick a quick story on that of those sure. flutes that were made when i was making those flutes um at, at one point like halfway of making all those flutes um i felt very uh one day one evening i felt very uh peaceful and quiet everything came over me quiet peaceful nothing nothing in my mind and uh at my when I was doing that and then uh my wife came over to visit me uh because she was uh she's a nurse and she came to see me because I was working and uh um next you know she came and said who touched your back I said what do you mean and she says there's a handprint on your back I guess you know of the sawdust when I was working on the flute and there was actually a handprint on my back. And I was very, you know, you know, I even took a picture of it and everything. So I, maybe it was, you know, the creator or maybe it was uh, ancestors or something, mm-hmm. but, you know, making them flutes, you know, it, it, it means a lot to me. Somebody knows you're doing good work and, and that's being acknowledged. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, it has never happened. So uh, being chosen for to, to make them awards and that happening, everything just all fell into play. And, you know, yeah. I'm just so amazed. Well, good. Well, Fred, thanks so much for taking the time this afternoon to uh, to talk with us. Uh, we wish you luck and uh, maybe someday we can have uh, uh, you play in, in person in, in front of us, maybe in uh, with our Kentucky Humanities group, uh, our audience, uh, some some people to have you come on and and do some uh, do some music for us. These these flutes are actually you can play. It's in the in the pentatonic scale, so you can actually play with anything: guitar, piano, cello, mandolin, banjo. So I played with all of them instruments. I even played with the Chinese orchestra. With oh wow, and, okay, and, well that's wonderful. Yeah, and I I even played with. Uh, a gentleman that passed on and he had a voice and he sang amazing grace and you know it just went so well and mm. my next my next big goal is to play with uh an orchestra so mm. well i'm sure that's going to happen maybe maybe uh we can we can both kind of work on that and see if that can happen okay yeah, yeah. all right fred crims thank you so much for being with us on uh, think humanities Thank you very much. Yeah, I introduced myself in Navajo. That's the first thing we should have done. You know, yat e kwasu ne she ya fretchins ne le tahodana chawan 
Aro Shenanish Eji do Kachi, Do Hanagahi, Do Tapahampashishin. I am born for the Red Bottom Water clan and the one who walks around. And that's how I introduce myself every time I go somewhere. Very good, Fred. Thank you very much for adding that. Uh, yes, I have uh, been in uh, uh, circles where that is being done, and it's always done at the very beginning. I'm uh, but it doesn't have any less impact that we did it at the very end. So once again, uh, thank you for joining us and thank you for adding that. Thank you very much for having me. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.